Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like Good morning. Hmm. What's on the top of your feelings list this morning? I mean, I don't even. Do you have? Do you start the day with like, here's how I'm feeling. Here's how I'm feeling about the things ahead of me. Here's how I'm feeling about myself. Here's how I'm feeling about the world. I I want to encourage you to start your feelings list with here's how I'm feeling about God, because that'll put everything else into perspective. I mean, we we recognize that our feelings are a terrible barometer of the truth. Um, but I also know that our feelings affect us deeply, dramatically. And so I want to encourage you this morning to consider how you're feeling about God and, and then ask, is the way that I'm feeling about God aligned with the reality of I know who God to be? Like God has revealed himself so fully, um, finally in the person of Jesus Christ, but so fully in creation itself. And so when you consider the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the presence of God, the power of God, his mercies new every morning. How does that make you feel? Start your feelings list today with feelings about God and then move on to your other feelings as well. But let, let, let your feelings about God um, influence dramatically the way you feel about yourself, the world, and everything in it. So we come to today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day from 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're not signed up to receive uh, the Faith Radio Growing Your Faith verse of the day in your inbox every morning, I encourage you to do that at MyFaithRadio.com. Time's also running out to sign up to join us in our uh, study of 2 Timothy. It's a part of our Reading the Bible Together series, and we've got one starting just in a couple of days. So we want you to join us in that, and you can sign up for that at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, so First Peter 5, 6 and 7. Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Humility, humble, humble yourselves. You know, there's a huge difference between humbling ourselves and being humiliated. I would much rather humble myself than be humiliated. How about you? So what does it mean to humble yourself? And and specifically, what does it mean to humble yourself under God's mighty hand? To humble ourselves means to bow down, to to actually get down low. Um, You might think of a, maybe you've got a door, um, like to a subspace in your house. It's not, you know, it's not like the the full size of like a basement door. Maybe you have a crawl space. I want you to think about how you have to humble yourself, how you have to bow down in order to get through the door of a crawl space. That's what we're talking about. Like, Like, what does it mean to get low before the Lord, to submit our will to his, to put ourselves in a posture of surrender, 
To humble ourselves also means to surrender our ideas and our rights to the ideas and the righteousness of God. To humble ourselves means we act in obedience to what God has revealed. So that is going to require a laying down of what we think uh, we have a right to. And there are a number of us, I mean, I throw myself in this group, right? Like, I think I have a right to know. I think I have a right to be right. And I got to lay those down. I got to humble myself. Um, I don't have a right to know it all. I don't have a right to have it all. I don't have a right to do it all. I don't have a right to the job or the relationship or the experience of my choosing. I got to lay all of that down. I got to relinquish my right to people and places and things to surrender it all. That includes your family, by the way. That includes your sense of having a right to be married or a right to have children or a right to have those people behave in ways that (laughs) align with what you think is right. Like, it's not just, that's just, it's not there. Those are, those are God's rights, but they're not ours. We got to surrender all. I surrender all. Just give me Jesus. You can have all the rest. Really? That's humility. So let me encourage you to humble yourself today. Where? Under God's mighty hand. Not as one who would be oppressed or held down. That's not what God's mighty hand means here. Um, Peter says, like, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So I think here of Noah, um, humbling himself under God's mighty hand, obedient day after day after day after day after day, moment by moment by moment by moment for a hundred years, for a hundred years. Imagine that you're the guy building an ark in the desert because God told you to do it. That's due time. That's humbling oneself under God's mighty hand that God may lift you up in due time. Of all the people in the generation of Noah, Knowing history as you do, who do you want to be? You want to be Noah. (laughs) You want to be lifted up in due time. A hundred years of humbly doing day after day after day after day after day what God told him to do. Doing the work every day without fail for a hundred years, believing the unbelievable, expecting God to do what he had said he would do in due time. Noah, it's going to rain. It's going to rain a lot. What, what God doesn't say is it's 100 years off. You, know, you, know, you got 100 years to build this ark. God doesn't say that. What God says is it's going to rain. It's going to rain a lot, and you're going to need a big boat, and I need you to build it because I need that boat to you know, carry two by two and seven by seven. Like I, I, I need the boat, so I need, I need a boat builder, and it's you, and I need you to work on it. And here's the specs, and here's all the stuff you're going to need, and, um, and I'm going to bring it forth. I'm going to supply for it, but you got to build it. A hundred years. And in the meantime, because don't you imagine that those times were mean? People were mean to Noah. The times are going to be mean, my friends. That due time that's described here, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up when in due time. Well, between here and the due time is the meantime. And so in the meantime, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, which means we will be anxious. There will be anxiety. You will have anxiety in the meantime. Between now and the due time, in the meantime, you'll have anxiety, but there's a place to put it. Cast all your anxiety on him 
because he cares for you. God cares for you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All righty, it's just you and me for a moment here. I've got my coffee. I hope you've got your tasty beverage of whatever kind. Uh, You know, maybe you have a glass of water because that's really good for us. Maybe, maybe you have a concoction that you learned from your grandmother Mm -hmm. or your grandfather. Maybe somebody's got a honey and vinegar thing going on this morning. Anybody doing that? Anybody like sipping something medicinal like you know it's good for you and so you drink it? Maybe I've got some kombucha fans out there. Does anybody have a recipe, by the way, for homemade kombucha? Anybody doing that? Anybody doing the fermented black tea thing these days? Proverbs twenty nine twenty one. Yeah, this is headed somewhere. Yes, this is a conversation that's going somewhere. Don't worry. I'm not like wandering around. It sounds like it, but I'm not. Proverbs twenty nine twenty one declares, you can catch more flies with honey than vinegar. So did you know today that when you actually mix them together, it's medicinal? This is this is a kind of cool research coming out from, you know, those microbiology people that look through microscopes and they, they, they want to know what's going on in our gut and all those things. So uh, they've been exploring the antibacterial and antibiofilm activity of acetic acid and vinegar combined with, now they say medical grade honey, but I'm, I'm just going to go with, you know, whatever honey you got on hand. Like, you know, so um, a combination of honey and vinegar has actually been used as a remedy for wounds and infections, uh, I mean, over the course of human history. And it's attested to in Scripture. And so um, come to find out, like, hey, it's as good as it gets in terms of um, in terms of medicinal goodness. It's probably a better way to say that. Um, so anyway, I just thought I would lift that up. And there are, you know, some... Some vinegars that they're suggesting are more powerful than others. Apparently, pomegranate vinegar, a particularly interesting candidate for further study. That's what they say. Um, uh, And there are particular honeys as well. But, you know, here's the reality. Raw honey, better than any other kind of honey. Um, Strong vinegar, better than any other kind of vinegar. That's sort of how this goes. So anyway, uh, it's just I offer you that today because I think there's an opportunity there for an ongoing conversation about science and technology and what the Bible has to say about life. So, yeah, you can catch more flies with, hun- that, with honey than with vinegar. But when you mix them together, mm-hmm, it's, uh, it's good medicine. The former president of the United States is facing further federal indictment. It could come as early as today. The, um, the grand jury in D.C. was convened yesterday. They, uh, they did suspend their hearing without um, issuing an indictment. But I think everybody knows it's coming. The president, uh, the former president, acknowledged that he received a target letter. Um, it lays out what are presumed to be the framework for three charges, pending, uh, pending charges. And uh, these surround the events leading up to what we now remember or recall as January 6th. So it does not include January 6th but leads up to January 6th. And um, so what were the conversations that were had? What were um, the plans that were, you know, being discussed? And, and how widely were those conversations um, 
being had and who was involved and, and specifically how was the president involved. And one has to assume that if special counsel uh, Jack Smith is ready to bring charges, um, he's very confident in the um, the evidence that he has. Um, here's something you may not know about Jack Smith. He he doesn't he doesn't tend to bring indictments that he's not very confident um, are going to win in court. Um, this is a guy who uh, is very, very competitive, um, competitive triathlete. At one point, he like broke his pelvis and he still participated in a competitive um, uh, triathlon just weeks later. Uh, and so when we think about what's coming, I just think we have to be very sober minded about um, the future that is imminent here in the United States of America and that former President Trump is very likely going to face criminal charges surrounding um, events leading up to January the 6th. And you can absolutely assume that um, the fake elector scheme, particularly in Michigan, where 16 individuals have now been charged in the state of Michigan for their involvement um, in presenting themselves falsely as uh, as electors, that is, you know, part of this conversation. But the bigger part of the conversation is probably the conversation of the depri- deprivation of rights. It's not language you're probably used to hearing. It comes as a part of um, the the U.S. code that makes it a criminal offense to deprive another person of their rights, particularly like their right to do their job. And so how were the members of Congress deprived of the right to do their job? How was Mike Pence deprived of the right to do his job? How were others deprived of the right to um, to exercise um, uh, their constitutionally guaranteed um, freedoms? Those are going to be some of the conversations you're going to see. Also, obstruction of an official proceeding um, and and conspiracy to make false statements. And that's the one that is going to be in relationship to false electors, not only in Michigan, but elsewhere across the United States. Um, And so I just think you need to be aware that this is happening. I don't want you to um, not know. And so this is my effort to bring us up to speed on what is happening and to be praying for the peace of our country. And and not to be quick to give people a piece of our mind about all of this. That is so easy to do. You're going to hear a lot of that. Um, people, you know, giving you a piece of their mind about all of this. Let's be the people who sow peace in these conversations and resist giving people a piece of our mind and instead be the people who have the peace of the mind of Christ in all circumstances. Um, we're going to pursue truth, but we're not going to assume that we know um, that we know the truth and we're going to um, to value the truth um, wherever it leads. All right, let's take a very brief break. When we come when we come back, we're going to we're going to talk about the wisdom and the possibility of actually bringing extinct animals back to life. Would you do it if you could? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. All right. Have you ever had this conversation with your kids or grandkids? Um, hey, just because you can doesn't mean you should. 
Yeah. So just because we have arrived at uh, at the stage of scientific inquiry where we can, where we can, at least theoretically, I mean, I know it's more than theory. It's more than theory. Um, bring back, let's say, the woolly mammoth used to roam the cold tundra of Europe, Asia and North America. Hey, let's just note for a moment, um, less cold tundra now than in the days that the woolly mammoth roamed um, in those regions. Uh, in fact, these are places that are now consumed by heat. So, you know, part of this conversation about, let's say, bringing back the shaggy-coated, large-tusked woolly mammoth um, is wh- where where would such a creature live? So woolly mammoths um, are extinct. We have fossil evidence of them. And that fossil evidence, um, you know, because we know how to do things at the cutting edge of genetic engineering technology, um, you know, we can insert mammoth DNA into Asian elephants and create, quote, cold tolerant elephant mammoth hybrids. Mm-hmm. That's like something we now know how to do. So just because you can doesn't mean you should. This is going to be a conversation about wisdom. So there's a Dallas-based company named Colossal, and it's targeting 2027 for the first round of, quote, woolly mammoth calves. Now, of course, we're curious and we think that would be so fun, but woolly mammoth calves are not going to remain calves for long. And so the question about where such animals would live, um, the wisdom of of returning um, such a creature to uh, the current, you know, status of things around the world. Um, who's going to take long-term responsibility for them? Yes, we have stewardship over all creation. God gives us that in the creation mandate at the beginning of the book of Genesis, and it does include all creatures, great and small. But what's the wisdom of doing something just because we can? That's going to be the ongoing conversation related uh, related to that. Um, all right, I got all kinds of things I want to talk about today. Um, one is going to be, do you keep a journal? And if so, um, what's going to happen with those things that you wrote down after you're no longer here? Like, do you have an express will for your journals? I I don't. I mean, I, I, I don't. So I thought it was an interesting conversation. Why? Well, Queen Elizabeth I didn't just keep journals. You know, there are annals of her of her life during her reign. And that means that in the same way that um, there were those who chronicled things that happened during the ki- during the seasons of the kings, we, ha- we first and second chronicles as examples of this. Those are annals of kings. All right. So that's why first and second kings and first and second chronicles are basically a duplicate of each other because they're the journals, the annals of the time. And so historians at the British Library now using new imaging technology can actually see that um, there were hundreds of previously hidden pages. The original account of Queen Elizabeth's reign hidden under um, text that has been written over them. It's just crazy. Anyway, all these hidden pages of these annals. And obviously that was an attempt after her death to change recorded history, to change what was really recorded in real time. So I bring this up today not only um, to encourage each of us to make a plan for <clears throat> what happens to those journals when we um, when we are no longer here, but also to um, encourage a conversation about the Bible and how how much trust we can have that the Bible really says today what God really said when he said it to those who then recorded it. Like, 
How confident are you that the Bible you're reading today is the Word of God? Um, and that's a that's a fantastic conversation to have. And I can tell you this: the biblical man, manuscripts have been reliably transmitted from the original authors to us today. We have we have evidence of that. There are more surviving copies of of the ancient text of the Bible when you put it up against any other text in the world. Um, there's more surviving manuscripts from the ancient world than I mean, far and away than any than anything else that you would say, oh, well, we trust that the Iliad is is, you know, accurately the Iliad. Well, you can trust this more. Um, you can trust uh, that the Bible says what God said to the people who then reliably wrote it. You can also look at what Jesus had to say about what um, we have as the Old Testament. And you can say to yourself, OK, Jesus trusted um, the Bible as accurate because he quoted it directly, f- frequently. Um, and and Paul uh, considered it authoritative and accurate. So I just think that there are, um, are ways that we can enter into conversations of the day and we can point back to or we can lead people into conversations that are more significant than were the annals of Queen Elizabeth I altered um, because people wanted history to be remembered differently, uh, we can move from there to a conversation about the Bible and its historicity, authenticity, and reliability. All right. um, I'm going to have to save this conversation about what's buried in your backyard um, for a little bit later, but you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. I'm so glad we're here together. we got to take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. When's the last time you uh, pulled out a pen and thought about making a sketch? Are you a sketch artist? How do you view God? Is there a right and a wrong way to view God? Are there ways in which your image of God has been blurred or distorted because of events or people, experiences that you've had? How do you know that you're seeing God accurately? How do you know that you're, that like your image of God is really aligned with who God is? Maybe as J.B. Phillips said, your God's too small. It's not possible that your image of God is too big. Let me say that. Um, what are some of the things that you believe about God? And how are those potentially blurred or distorted in terms of who God really is, who God has really revealed himself to be? God's character, God's ways. To help us see God more clearly, our friend Dan DeWitt is going to join us. He's got a new book, Sketch Views, A Beginner's Guide for Making Sense of God. Um, He's also got uh, a C.S. Lewis conversation to bring to us, the writer who found joy. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Pretty confident as we welcome Dan DeWitt back this morning that he's drinking coffee and not kombucha. Good morning, Dan. <laughs> What's crack a lacking, Carmen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Honey and vinegar. Mix it together. Mm-hmm. No, thanks. There you go. Add a little flavor. <laughs> Black pepper seems to be online. Uh, people's, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, well, now that we've got that out of the way, 
Let's talk about Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. It's a it's a brand new book that you're offering, but this is teaching that you've been literally unpacking over many years as you've been um, teaching university students. Yeah, you know, um, the title of the book is Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. And it but it really could just be labeled, you know, Introduction to theology because it's a class that I've taught for a long time. Boring. It would be. That'd be be boring. (laughs) And so the whole idea of the the sketchy part. uh, I once had a student in a review say to me, um, she said, "I think you're at your best when you're at the whiteboard, like illustrating." Like she's like, "That's always like the times where I feel like you're really connecting and it's the most helpful." And so I've tried to do more and more of that over the years to where I'm at the whiteboard, I'm illustrating out, you know, what I'm teaching. And it's hard when you're teaching a big class, you know, that mm-hmm. that could be difficult. Um, so those sketches that have been on the the whiteboard for a long time aren't have made their way into print. And so not only did I write the book, but I illustrated it. All right. So let's talk about um, you're not drawing pictures of God. That's not what's happening. Um, but you are helping us reframe and understand who God has revealed himself to be. And you use a lot of fishing stories to get us there. I do. Yeah. So I use the metaphor of a stream, um, which is not unique to me. I've heard people talk about the stream of orthodoxy and orthodoxy is that word that we have, you know, historically that the church has used to talk about what it means to get God right. That's orthodox. Heresy would be getting God wrong. And so in the book, I use sketchy, um, as a way to illustrate as a metaphor for heresy, for getting God wrong, that's sketchy or suspicious. Um, orthodoxy, on the other hand, though, I argue like a stream, it flows in a particular direction. And so I, I grew up fishing farm ponds in central Illinois. Like I, I'd never been on a big lake. Um, I never fished in a stream. I fish little farm ponds that, you know, they're so easy to catch fish. But when I got to Ohio, um, I had to learn how to to fish in streams, which is, is a lot more difficult. And the reason for part of the what I've learned is that fish aren't going to fight the rapids all day. You know, they have a limited amount of calories, um, a limited amount of energy to get a maximum amount of food. So they're going to try and preserve their energy and like sit in a, in a nice little, you know, area behind a rock or behind a tree and to where they're not finding the current and they're going to look upstream for something to come to them. So if you're going to catch fish, often you need to cast something upstream and let it come back to where the fish will be looking for it. Now, not to bore anyone who doesn't like fishing, and certainly I hope people who read the book who don't like fishing will still enjoy the book. But my my point is that orthodoxy is similar in that the stream is flowing from a particular direction. And if we want to get God right, we need to make sure that we're fixing our eyes in the right direction. Such a powerful and beautiful image. Um, thank you so much for that. Uh, talk a little bit about the ways that we do get it wrong, that we do, that because of our experiences, because of particular relationships we've had, because of the world in which we live or the generation in which we find ourselves, because of our experiences of injustice or negative experiences with authority, that there are times that we get God wrong because of the wrongs of the world. Yeah, I think that, you know, living in the kind of social media gotcha moment that we're in today, we we are constantly surrounded by people who love pointing out when people get it wrong. And so 
in the book, my goal is not to kind of go, gotcha, <laughs> like, look how messed up you are, but rather to say, like you just put it, Carmen, we all have a proclivity for getting God wrong. And if we're honest, like we know that none of us have a perfect theology. So there are ways all of us have certain things that surely we've gotten wrong or we've overemphasized in a way that's um, unhelpful. I think one of the biggest ways that we really get God wrong is that we think that somehow whatever our experience is in the world is an accurate depiction of who God is. And so we we often are thinking about God through the filter of our experiences and our expectations. And if we consult the Bible, we just kind of do it in a way that affirms our preconceived notions. And so instead of letting God challenge who we are and speak into who we are, we're often reflecting our own perspective and experiences back onto God. And I'm always reminded of uh, something I heard hip hop artist, Andy Minio say um, several years ago, God made you in his image and he didn't ask you to return the favor. Mm. Say that again. God made you in his image and he didn't ask you to return the favor. And I think that's where we're, we're often recreating God kind of in our image. And we're all guilty of this, where we just think God must be like this because this is how I want God to be, or God must be like this because this is how I want to live. And we need to constantly come back to scripture and let scripture confront our views of God to frame our views of God and, and to correct um, the ways we've gotten God wrong. And so sometimes I'll do with students, I'll say, Hey, let's look at this particular passage. So Genesis is one I often do. Um, and I'll say, you know, look at Genesis one and two, for example, and you can only write down things that you find in the text. And I, always have without fail. Every time I do this with students, and I'll give them a lot of time. They'll get in groups and, you know, they'll kind of work together to see what's actually in the text. Um, I always have students who are surprised at things that they thought were in the text, that they assume were in the text, that they've been taught are in the text that just aren't there. And I use that mm. as an example to say, how many places do we just assume things about God in our beliefs? We feel like are really deeply biblical. And then we look at the text and we're like, oh, wow, um, it's actually not there. Um, I think it would be fun to make a list of the things that we imagine or have been taught or believed were in the text that are not there, like, and just call it a book called It's Not There. It is not there. It is not <laughs> Let's there. Let's co-write it. Let's do Isn't it. Great. Yeah, that, that yes. is not there. That's, yeah. Um, so, uh, well, let me, let me rehearse here that we're talking with Dan DeWitt, his brand new book, Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide for Making Sense of God. And because you've been waiting for me to say it, yes, we're giving away copies of this today, but I have got something extraordinary to share with you. We're actually giving away book bundles today. You could call hey. it the DeWitt Duo. You could call it the DeWitt Double Take. Yeah, dun, because dun, dun. Dan's got another brand new book, and it's a children's book, and it's about C.S. Lewis, the writer who found joy. So I love what uh, Andrew Peterson has said um, about uh, about your new uh, C.S. Lewis, The Writer Who Found Joy book. Our friend Andrew Peterson says, Lewis's life was like a storybook. And now, thanks to Dan DeWitt, it reads like one, too. Every kid ought to know about Narnia. But knowing more about Lewis himself means knowing more about the God who rescued him, which is mm. how he would have wanted it. First of all, I love that. That is, um, that's a great encouragement from somebody that we love to read and 
who's bringing us so many wonderful tales um, that help us know God better and see ourselves in in light of his grace. So we want to talk about your C.S. Lewis, The Writer Who Found Joy book, but I want to tell people that when you text the word book to 877-933-2484, you're texting in for the book bundle for a copy of Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide for Making Sense of God, and a copy of C.S. Lewis, The Writer Who Found Joy. How fun is that? I know. It's a good, it's Can a good I add day. To it's it? a good day on Mornings with Carmen. You're going to add to the bundle? I don't yeah, know. So, so I'm I don't sending know. Paul that and I to are Paul. Not, Paul and I are not in charge of that. But yes, go uh, ahead. Well, I'm sending to you whatever you want to do with it. Three of my Lewis sketches as well. So <gasps> if they if they find their way into the book bundle. Um, like a surprise would... and delight? Like a, yes. like a secret little surprise and delight? It's, it's, it's oh. one of those, but wait, there's more. Now but how much wait, would you text? There's more. <laughs> And we're hey, going to send you the French fry that gets left behind in the bag that you're always so yeah. excited about. Or, or maybe, or maybe just the unopened package of ketchup that you don't really know oh, how gosh. long it's been under the seat. <laughs> have you ever opened one of those? It's very dark. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that like the ketchup that's like from years ago when you open that yeah. package? Because I have to open it. I have to see. I can't. I can't just throw the unopened package away. My curiosity gets the better of me. Don't eat and it, Carmen. Don't eat it. Like, don't use it. No, but it's like super dark. Anyway. But maybe in a survival situation, you could get some calories from that. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I'm even in that situation. I might be tempted to let that go. Um, all right, because, you know, it started with kombucha and now it's with a package of ketchup under the seat of your car, we're talking with our friend Daniel DeWitt, uh, two brand new books, Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide for Making Sense of God, and C.S. Lewis, The Writer Who Found Joy. We're going to get into that children's book here in just a moment. But in the meantime, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. More with Daniel DeWitt in just a moment. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're continuing our conversation with Daniel DeWitt. You can find him at his Theolatte dot com blog site you can also find him at on facebook and twitter and instagram dr dan dewitt um he is a senior fellow at southwest baptist university he's an author he's a friend uh his new book sketchy views a beginner's guide for making sense of god and his new children's book c.s lewis the writer who found joy we're giving giving them away today in a dewitt duo bundle a twofer Text the word, oh, and and a, a surprise and delight. An additional surprise and delight. Uh, the ketchup text packet. the word No, no, no ketchup packet, <laughs> I promise. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. Um, Dan, uh really great listener comment here um from our friend Bob Castro. So in in uh, reaching back into our conversation about um 
sketchy views and the mm-hmm. stream, right? The stream. So he's like, I feel like we're swimming uh, orthodoxy in the orthodoxy stream. Like, right. We are, we're downstream. We're facing upstream. We're, you know, we're, we're seeking to move in that direction, but we're also in the stream of the zeitgeist, like, right. The, hmm. yeah. the, the stream of the days in which we live. So we do, we live at this conf- confluence of the stream of culture, which is definitely leading us downhill um, and we live in this stream of orthodoxy um, as well. So I don't know, a little comment on that. I, I think that's a great point. And, you know, it's in a lot of ways, we want to make sure we're finding our way into the right current. Um, mm-hmm. But current is probably helpful because, you know, theology is going to challenge us, but also it'd be a whole lot easier to move over into the current of the world and just ride along with it. So mm-hmm. fighting the current is a very difficult thing to do. Um, But yeah, I think there's a lot of ways we could probably unpack that metaphor. So good. So good. All right. Take us into C.S. Lewis, The Writer Who Found Joy. It's a children's book. What's the age group? What do we, you know, get get us into it, man. Yeah. So um, I was so thrilled when B&H Kids, which is Brobman and Holman Publishing and their kids division, B&H Kids, when I got a call from one of their editors and she asked me to write um, a book, I think they say the ages are like four to 10, something like that, four to eight. And they did a three-part series called Here I Am, which are Christian biographies. And kind of their goal was, you know, a lot of Christian biographies are written for a little bit older kids. It can be hard to find Christian biographies that are picture storybooks to introduce young kids that you're reading to um, often. It's hard to find really good children's biographies for them. And then also the Christian biographies that are done for older kids often have horrible art. And so Mm. um, it was like, how do we like create a new, their goal was to create this new line that'd be for for younger readers, but have beautiful art. So they did one book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They did another one on Lottie Moon, um, who's a Southern Baptist hero of the faith, a missionary um, from years ago. And they asked me to do C.S. Lewis. And I was just so excited, Carmen, because there's so much written about Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis, but I pretty much kind of resolved to I'm never going to write a book about him because I don't know what I could do that would be helpful or unique that someone's not already done a hundred times better. And this children's book was like the opportunity. So it's a lot of fun. I book and the I book and the book. Can you use that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I start and end the book with um that Lewis losing his mom um, to cancer in childhood, which really marked his departure away from the faith. And at the end of Lewis's life, he lost his wife to cancer, but that really demonstrated the depth of his faith. And so there are a couple serious topics that are touched on in the book in a, in a um, hopefully an appropriate way for kids. Um, but to see that faith, Christian faith and Jesus and joy are real and can, can be real and accessible even in the midst of, Hard time. So it was so much fun to write. And I've hid a ton of little Easter eggs, little surprises throughout the book. So if you're a Lewis scholar, you're going to find the the poem that Lewis wrote as an atheist. I have it sitting on the uh, the his desk in one of the scenes. You're going to find Tolkien. You're going to find the eagle and the child. There's going to be there's all kinds of little hidden things. So you're not too old. No one's too old to get this book. Yeah, it's so good. It's very, very fresh. I uh I really appreciate the um, 
the sort of like parent discussion resource that B&H is providing at their website as well. So mm-hmm. if you guys are interested in that, maybe include that in a text message and I'll send you that link back as well. But, um, um, you know, it, it helps us draw kids into and maybe one another into conversations, right? Like what's what's the event that maybe in your own life led you to doubt God or to doubt God's goodness? And what are the kinds of questions that, um, you know, C.S. Lewis had about God? And do you have those kinds of questions as well? Like it's right. It's an opportunity to engage with um, real things that happen to a real person who who we know, like we feel like we know C.S. Lewis a little bit. Um, um, uh, you have this suggestion in the book um, that Joy followed C.S. Lewis around like a stray dog everywhere he went. Um, yeah. That's such a beautiful, right? That's such a beautiful image. Um, and it makes me um, think about, you know, the statement in the Psalms that goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my mm. life. Do I do I see them? Do I turn around? Do I recognize them? What does it mean to be pursued by mercy or in this case by joy? Um, yeah, so good. Um, just so, so good. And and then I think the provocative question, like, can I can I find and experience the kind of joy that C.S. Lewis found? Mm-hmm. Can I find creative ways to express it? Can I draw other people into it? Like that's that's who that's how he lived. And that's what he has done. That's his legacy. He's drawn us all into the joy of the Lord. You know, he he was such, I think it was uh, Walter Hooper, who was an American who ended up moving to England and was C.S. Lewis's secretary at the end of his life. And it carried on Lewis's literary legacy and himself. Um, Walter Hooper passed away from, I believe, cancer um, not not too long ago. But Walter Hooper said of C.S. Lewis that he was the most thoroughly converted Christian he ever knew. And mm-hmm. when, when I teach C.S. Lewis, one of the things I, I tell my students is, you know, Lewis was not a man without fault. Um so we don't want to just do hagiography where we only like, you know, extol his virtues. But on the other hand, he, the reason he is so perennial in terms of his influence and the reason he's so lasting um, and the depth of his influence is felt on a very personal level, probably to many of your listeners and to us, of course, um, is because he so loved Jesus and Jesus permeated um the way he thought about everything. And so whether he's doing literary criticism, um, his Christian faith is going to come out, whether he's writing children's stories, science fiction, um, whatever it was, he, he just, th- this joy had captured his heart. And so what, what I end the book with is that C.S. Lewis found joy in God and he would want you to know, I'm sure that you could find joy in God too. Mm. So good. We should talk more about Walter Hooper sometime. Yes. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Um, yeah, it's there's probably a lot of us who um, have a life that looks potentially more like Walter Hooper's life than like C.S. Lewis's life. But mm-hmm. if we didn't have Walter Hooper, we wouldn't have so much of what we have from C.S. Lewis. So being a trustee um, and a guardian and a and a good steward of the things that uh, God provides is uh, is really such a testimony. Dan, as always, it's a joy to catch up with you. We are delighted with uh, these two new books, Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide for Making Sense of God, and C.S. Lewis, The Writer Who Found Joy. You can enter the drawing for the book bundles we're giving away, plus a surprise and delight from Dan that we're going to tuck in there as well. It's catch up. Yeah. 
You you it's not ketchup. You text the word book to 877-933-2484. Hey, until next time, friend. Thanks so much, Carmen. Absolutely. You can visit theolatte.com. You'll see articles and access to the books we discussed today and a whole lot more. That's Dan's website, theolatte.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Is it Friday? No, it's not Friday. Today's Friday. It is? Yeah. Oh, I I need another day, Paul. I'm just going to go ahead and go on record and say I need another day. Okay, well, then we should have a Friday farm report. So the big news on the farm this week is um, he's fine. Let me just lead off with he's fine. But uh, Matthew rolled the Ranger. Now, the Ranger is like a farm vehicle, like a gator, like imagine a like a heavy-duty glorified golf cart. The good news is it's really heavy-duty. And 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 it's not the first time that the Ranger has been rolled like Jim's rolled the Ranger. So we we live we live on hilly land and uh, and it's a long way from the where the house is down, you know, two plateaus of hills to where the cows are. And so we've had a lot of rain. Uh, The ground is saturated. Some places it's slicker than, you know, well, slicker than what comes out of a cow's nose. So. Uh, anyway, we don't know exactly what happened, but you know, he, he lost control. Now here's the good news. Matthew wears his seatbelt and, and he's a good driver. And so, uh, he was headed down to tend our little calves and we're still given one bottle a day to the one that's recovering. But the good news is he is, he is recovered. Um, we have every confidence that he's going to be just fine and, you know, grow into the fullness of who God created him to be as meat for our table. Um, so, uh, Anyway, the ranger was was rolled, and let's just say it's just a crumpled mess. And so, yes, that project is now upon us, and we have the loss of that, the use of that vehicle, which means there's going to be more walking up and down the hill, which is, you know, good for all of us. That's just good for all of us. Here's the other big news on the farm this week. The second of uh, the three houses has now gotten its certificate of occupancy. So uh, kids moving in down the street. Yeah, we got... Uh, you know we've been in this uh, in this project of building these houses down our street for three sets of kids in our family, and uh, and there you go, uh, another certificate of occupancy. Check. Pretty excited about that. We got another hour of mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.